Volume One, Chapter Six of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume One, Chapter Six. The party the noble visitors had left were very differently employed. Mrs. Molyneux, almost always accustomed to be heard with attention and submitted to with deference as a beauty and a woman of exquisite taste, was piqued and offended by the air of superior intelligence assumed by Lady Castlenorth, who treated her like a child that knew nothing miss fitzhaman too had not expressed any admiration at her dress and figure but had viewed her with supercilious silence while mrs calder from knowing her to be a young married woman had with more curiosity than elegance inquired whether she was likely to give the molyneux family the air so much desired by the older part of it, a question which extremely disgusted her. Lord Castlenorth, who had complimented her upon her person, particularly on her long Chinese eyes, and the form of her face, which he said was extremely like that of Gertrude Fitzhyman, some maid of honour to Catherine of Aragon, and afterwards Countess of Powis, was, she declared to Mr. Molyneux, the only tolerable creature of the party. My uncle, said she, as soon as they were alone, my uncle is a reasonable being, but for the rest, did you ever see a plainer woman than Miss Fitzhaman? Her clothes might be French, but I am sure she looks absolutely Dutch in them. It's really a misfortune at her time of life to be so large molyneux carelessly answered you see she is sensible of the misfortune by her endeavours to conceal it but tis more witty than wise i think to find fault with her willoughby can see i suppose as well as you can and i don't think it's very polite in you to give him your authority for disliking her let him marry her and then hate and abuse her as much as you will oh replied the lady i shall always detest her and so dare say will he interrupt molyneux but let them be once married and all that is very immaterial to you it is by no means so that your brother cannot till he does marry pay the second five thousand pounds of your fortune unless he sells the withcombe estate which indeed the mortgagee is as far as i can learn very impatient to take possession of with this charge upon it which he will immediately pay off you see that willoughby has no choice matrimony or the dismembering his estates and pray never put it into his head to hesitate this affectionate brother-in-law then went to his own dressing-room and mrs molyneux taking a candle surveying herself in the great glass 
and wondering how it was possible such a figure and face could fail to attract universal admiration from all ages and sexes retired to her bed the contemplations of poor celestina who had left them the moment the company dispersed were much more painful the sight of willoughby his surprise and as she thought his displeasure at finding her still there were as poisoned arrows in her breast but the pride of consciousness worth aided by her disinterested affection for him enabled her though not to heal yet to endure without weak complainings the exquisite pain they inflicted and to give her courage immediately to execute the design she had long formed of withdrawing herself from his sight for ever it was now impossible for her to set out the next day but that immediately following it she fixed for her departure and after a night in which she enjoyed very little repose she arose early in order to make the immediate preparations for her journey which she determined in order to save expense to make the esther stage as she was desirous of giving as little trouble as possible to mr molyneux's servants who were all people of great consequence and would any of them have thought such a commission degrading she determined to go herself into the city where places were to be taken it was yet so early when she went down to execute this intention that only the housemaid was stirring and the windows of the parlor only were opened there celestina sat while the maid went into the kitchen to get her a glass of milk and water which she had asked for and while she yet trifled with it being indeed afraid to venture into the streets till she saw more people in them she heard the servant who was at the door dusting the hall and steps speak to somebody who entered and the instant afterwards Milby came into the room where she was she arose trembling and amazed from her seat mr moray said he so early prepared to go out celestina answered yes and sat down again he laid down his hat on the sideboard and if he knew not what to say went to the window celestina sat motionless and willoughby after standing there a moment seemed ashamed of his silence yet afraid to speak he traversed the room mended the fire and complaining of the cold at length ventured to inquire of celestina what induced her to venture out at so early an hour of so unpleasant a morning she replied calmly for she had by this time regained her composure that she had business in the city business in the city cried willoughby and at this time of day ah celestina there was a time when you would not thus have answered my inquiry he was going on when celestina interrupted him there was indeed said she with a deep sigh a time when you would not have made it not have made it answered he was i not then ever interested in all that concerned you 
and was any action of yours indifferent to me he faltered and stopped i was once simple enough to think so indeed said celestina and in those days of fortunate illusion you certainly would have made no such inquiry as the present because i should then have done nothing of which you would not have known the motive nor have taken any measure without the concurrence of my brother and my friend but as you told me yourself would i forget it that it was no longer in your power to retain these characters towards me i am learning to forget that i ever was so happy as to fancy that no change in my situation especially a change for the worse could rob me of that regard so valuable always so particularly valuable now gracious heaven cried willoughby entirely thrown off guard by her words and manner how i have acted what i have said to deserve this reproach from you celestina when we parted last she again interrupted him did we part like friends like brother and sister no reported he hastily but i tore myself from you like a man who sacrifices to the performance of a fatal promise his own happiness and who is the victim of a family pride and family necessity this sentence was decisive his resolution forsook him at once and his long stifled affection burst through all the restraints he determined to lay on it o celestina continued he you whom i loved before i knew what it was to love you whom i now adore with a passion too strong for my reason do not do not i beseech you aggravate my sufferings i promised to my mother and you know how well she deserved to be obeyed i promised to unite myself with her niece i promised to extirpate from my heart an inclination that even then i could not conceal rash and ridiculous promise no celestina it is impossible for me to cease loving you all my behavior which you have thought cold and unfriendly was a part i was acting in opposition to my real affections i can sustain no longer i cannot bear that you should think of me with indifference and yet oh my mother what a cruel task have you imposed on me celestina pity me i am more wretched than you can imagine his agitation now became too violent he seized the hand of celestina and fervently kissed it while her own sensations were such as no language can describe that willoughby loved her that what she had considered as indifference was owing to the struggle between his duty and his tenderness was transport such as obliterated every other sentiment but this delirium lasted but a moment her reason her genuine affection for him told her that to indulge this tenderness was injurious to him and she determined to show that she could sacrifice herself to his advantage and that contented 
with her brotherly attachment she could resign him to the fortune of miss fitzhaman the terms however in which she declared this the softness of her voice and the eyes filled with tears were little calculated to reconcile willoughby to the resolution which after a long dialogue she urged him to adopt she assured him that whatever might be her own fate she should never forgive herself were she to be the means of his breaking a promise so solemnly given and given at such a time to her dear deceased benefactress no my brother said she she is dead but my obligations to her can never be annihilated and what would become of me were i ever to feel myself reproached for ingratitude to her memory were i to destroy the fabric which she had raised for the happiness of her beloved son and to fancy that the spirit of my more than mother which i now often invocate with conscious pleasure should instead of beholding her celestina with complacency not unsuited to her present state of happiness see her degraded into a selfish and unworthy being who repays her benefits with the blackest ingratitude willoughby whose love once suffered to obtain the advantage now acquired more power every moment combated these objections with a very dangerous eloquence telling celestina that he had determined the evening before on a sight of miss fitzhaman who was insupportable to him to put an end to the negotiation and say plainly to his uncle that it was impossible for him to fulfil an engagement in which his heart never had any share celestina represented to him the situation of his fortune the absolute necessity there was for his marrying one who could repair its deficiency and restore him to the splendid affluence of his ancestors but for this he talked of economy and simplicity by which when they lived entirely at alvanstone he should be able to repair everything then for a moment indulging his vivid imagination in painting the happiness they should enjoy there together images of felicity which reflected in stronger colours those which celestina had a thousand times formed though knowing they could never be realised he thought suddenly of the fatal promise he had given to his mother and his heart seemed to shrink from the idea of breaking it to obtain even the highest human happiness which under such circumstances he felt would be dashed with gall he obtained however from celestina but not without difficulty a promise that she would lay aside her intentions of going into the city that morning to prepare for her journey of which he would not hear and she prevailed upon him to wait on lord castlenorth as he had assured the family he would do though wherefore should i do it said he unless to put an end at once and for ever to all thoughts of this odious marriage you ought surely 
replied Celestina, to wait on the brother of your mother, though no such connection had been thought of, and no dislike which you may have conceived to Miss Fitzhaman as your wife, should induce you to forget what you owe to your uncle. By arguments thus reasonable, Celestina, while she prevailed on Willoughby to do what was, he was forced to own proper, would have riveted his chains, if indeed they had not already been immovable. The noble candor and disinterested generosity of her soul gave tenfold force to the charms of her person, which since he had last seen her, Willoughby thought greatly improved, and the tenderness of her manner, the certainty of her affection for him, which she tried to conceal with more kindness than success, had altogether such an effect on him, that nothing but the fatal promise which lay so heavy on his heart could have prevented his marrying her immediately, in despite of every consideration of prudence or family engagement. End of Volume 1 Chapter 6 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.